Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Lord Mayor, I think many of us read the piece in the newspapers on Friday and felt for you and felt for your family. How is your brother these days? He's good, PJ. Thank you. He's, uh, he's, he's very good. Why did you decide that now was the time to tell the story? Well, you know, look, I, I was on the way into City Hall uh, from Baton College uh, Friday morning. Um, or, um, and I got a text from my brother Don with a, a picture of a vacant shop unit and he had a caption underneath it that he was going to take a chance. And I, I brought tears to my eyes, to be honest with you, PJ, because like my brother has suffered for so long and I've seen him at the, the lowest point, the lowest any human being could possibly go in, I suppose, in my imagination. And uh, just to see... I suppose the transformation from that lowest point to him now, you know, having a clear head, focused, having, you know, a mindset to take on something new and to open up a business for himself. Um, you know, I was just very, very proud in that moment. So um, that being said, you know, I, I, it's just things started rolling around inside my, inside my head and trying to re- relive, I suppose, the last decade, really, of a, a major issue that affected our family um, and my brother and uh, us, us as his brothers and uh, I suppose our parents as well. And uh, I just thought it was right and high time to, you know, tell his story. So um, Owen English and the examiner, who I have to give great credit to, was, you know, obviously a very delicate matter. And Owen contacted me and asked me would I be interested in doing a piece in it. And look, I spoke with Don and I spoke with members of my family first, obviously, to see if they were okay with it. And we were all of the same mindset that, you know, this, we believed that this was a story that, that should be told. When did it all start? I suppose, look, it started a, a very long time ago. Um, Don is 39 now. Um, he's four years older than me. Um, I'd say about, you know, 17, 18, Don started to act out. Uh, he started to rebel against my parents. He started to rebel against authority and, got involved in, you know, soft drugs and cannabis and stuff like that, started rebelling against society as a whole. Like every teenager rebels, Colm, you did yourself, I guess, in your own time. I there's did, a, there's a difference, though, between, yeah, there's a difference, though, between rebelling and what happened. So, like, when did you, as his younger brother, or did you, or his parents, your parents, realise there's more to this than just teenage rebellion? You know, any, any avenue to get his hands on money, I suppose, to feed his addiction, he, he would do it and he, you know, he didn't care at that point in time who he climbed over 
to get to it. Now, look, it subsequently turned out, turned out we found out when Don was 17 that um, he was abused. While it's not an excuse for what happened and doesn't excuse Don's, uh, I suppose, addiction or his actions, you can see as a family when you're trying to piece things together that there, there's a correlation. And I suppose that's very difficult for any individual or any man to deal with. Mm. But to deal with it and throw addiction down on top of it, it must have been a living torture for him, you know? Mm. Do, do you or does he link his subsequent addiction issues to what happened to him as a little boy? Uh, look, we, as I said, it's it's not 100% excusable what he did. And it doesn't just, you know, he was, he was, he was abused as a child. We as a family, you know, when we're trying to piece things together, we can see the correlation there and we can see, yeah. you know, they, they well, did have an influence towards I it. guess to, to explain, and it's something that, you know, you, you struggle with sometimes in journalism, and I'm sure you struggle with it as a family, uh, you, to explain is not to excuse. Well, completely. The, the link between the two, I mean, has he explored it in himself? Look, I think John, Don is still on a journey. Um, he's clean now, three years. Um, but as he says to me, like, look, I've I don't have personal experience myself personally with addiction, but I've seen it, you know, firsthand with my brother. So I don't know what it's like to wake up in the morning and crave a hit. I don't know what it's like to wake up in the morning and you know whether if you're a drug addict or if you're an alcoholic or a gambler. I I've never experienced myself that as an as an individual. But Don tells me like even though he's clean now three years. Every day is a struggle. He wakes up and he faces a fresh battle every single morning. It's like someone hits a reset button. This is his words, not mine. Someone hits a reset button and his battle starts all over again. So every day he he faces the world, he's facing those challenges. And to be in the mindset that he's in now to open up a, a new business, I just found that very endearing. I, I found I was mm. very I was very proud of my brother at that moment. Absolutely. Um, but I do believe, you know, he still has a long way to go, and he still has a lot of soul searching to to do. But I'm very very proud of him, PJ. And I know it's you know it might be a taboo subject. Well, I don't see why it would be a, a taboo subject because what it does, and in your position as first citizen, I think you're opening a conversation in many homes because I imagine there are many homes in Cork that have been affected by some loved one's addiction. Completely, completely. Um, and like, I suppose, as first citizen of the city, um, you know, I want to use my platform as first citizen of the city to give people um, who don't have a voice, people who have addiction, people who have gambling problems, people who have alcoholism problems. One person actually said to me there recently, he said, you know, why, like, I know it's personal to you and your family, but, you know, why why use your position as Lord Mayor to do this? You know, he said, like, and he said, a lot of these people don't vote. But, like, I was kind of looking at him and I was saying, like, what type of an attitude is that to have? You know, just because they don't, I'm not in this to, to, to gain votes. I'm not in this to, to you know, you know, advance myself politically. Did someone say that, Colm? 100%. You know, like, it was thrown at me when I decided to go into politics, PJ, that, you know, the history of my brother would bring me down and I should be very cautious about entering public life. And that kind of kind of hit me at that point in time when I was saying to myself, well, this, if anything, this is encouraging me to dive right in, you know, because these people do not have a voice. They may not vote, PJ, but I don't care if they don't vote. 
these people need a voice. And as first citizen of the city, hopefully I can give them that voice because I was elected by the good people of the Cork City South West Ward um, to, to Cork City Council. I'm now elected as the first citizen of the city. And it's my duty to be a voice for every single citizen in Cork City, whether they vote or not. That doesn't matter to me at all. Well, you don't need me to tell you, Lord Mayor, that there are many families and this interview will be heard in many households that have been hit in the same way as your family and your household has has been hit and, and have gone through terrible things. And in the end, that person has either put themselves right, like your brother has, and fair play to him, or hasn't. And maybe that one person has been almost completely lost to that family. Did you ever, did you ever fear, or did your family ever fear, that she'd completely lose Don to the heroin? 100%. 100%. Like, uh, PJ, sorry, no, I'm getting a bit, of, <laughs> a bit emotional. Um, I've seen my brother at his lowest point, as I, as I said there at the start of the interview. I've seen my brother with a needle in his arm. I've seen my brother with foam coming out of his mouth. And you, when, you, when you see a loved one at that certain point in time and know that you're helpless, absolutely helpless to help them, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's, it's like someone would reach your hand into your chest and pull your heart out. Um, and to see it come full circle uh, and see him, you know, in his recovery now, it's, it's so satisfying as a family and I'm so proud of him as my brother. But there was times when we thought we would lose him. And I know there may be families here, uh, you know, listening to this interview now that may have lost a loved one or have a, a loved one that's struggling with addiction. But you have to understand that these are people that are on a journey. They may be at the end of it. They may be in the middle of it. They may be at the start of it, but it is a journey. And I think, you know, if we as a society want to help these people who are sick uh, and be under no illusions, they are sick and they need help. Like if you had a headache, you take a paracetamol. Um, so like if we expect them to be mature enough and, you know, respectful enough of themselves to realize that they have a problem and they come looking for help, then we as a society as a whole need to start having a conversation about tr- stop treating it as criminality for, uh, you know, the, the, the addicts, the people suffering from addiction and start treating it as a, a medical health issue like they do in Portugal. Many people would agree with you. This is an illness. It's a sickness. It's a horrible thing to invade anybody's life. But on the other side of it, there are victims of petty and not so petty crime committed to feed these addictions. That's where you have a split in society. We realize you're sick, but hey, you robbed that poor old lady last week. 100%. Like people with addiction, they do stuff unnatural to them to feed their addiction and you know petty crime is, is a result of it but you know that's that's one of the side effects of their addiction and of their sickness and i'm not excusing it for any stretch of the minute you know it's 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 deplorable that that that, that the petty crime goes on but you have to realize they're doing it uh, abnormality abnormal to, to their inherent i suppose you know uh, instincts and they're not thinking straight they're not in a straight frame of mind and you know that being said like there needs to be a conversation had about obviously uh, our, our, our laws in relation to narcotics and all that. I would be a firm believer, like the, the big boys, the lads that don't, you know, uh, suffer from addiction, the lads that profit out of this misery, they need to be hunted down and, you know, brought, brought, brought to justice. Um, and, you know, we are doing that as a state through the Special Criminal Court. 
above Dublin, which I personally believe is one of the best avenues we have to deal with these people. Um, and but they, you 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 you'd never see them with a needle hanging out of their arm. You know, they're counting their their their, their millions, laughing. You know, and they're peddling misery and sickness and and pain all over the country. So they need to be dealt with correctly. And I would be uh, advocating for stricter laws on that. But in relation to the people who are small time dealing to feed their habits, petty crime to feed their habits, they need to be treated uh, medically, you know, because if, unless we start that conversation, we're just going to end up going around in circles, PJ. We reckon that there's, what, 300 people or possibly more at any one time in treatment in Cork for, for heroin. It is a scourge, isn't it, Colm? Oh, complete scourge. Oh, it is, it is, it is, oh, it is crazy. Um, and like I, I, as Lord Mayor, went to St. Finbar's Hospital yesterday. We launched the DASH bus, uh, the Drug, Alcohol and Sexual uh, Health Awareness mobile unit for Cork and Kerry. And uh, the whole, I suppose, idea of that is to get out to people who wouldn't, you know, be at a certain point in their recovery or in their addiction that they realise they have a problem. Um, and this mobile unit can go to anywhere within Cork and Kerry and uh, it gives them the opportunity to talk, gives them the opportunity, you know, to come forward. Um, but we need to do more because, as you said, 300 people in currently in treatment, there's waitingness to get into Tabor Lodge, there's waitingness to get into Coonvera. Um, there's, you know, you know, Arbor House, all of them, they're all oversubscribed and underfunded. Um, and I hope to, as Lord Mayor, uh, this year to work closely with uh, the HSE and uh, both local, the local authority and national government to see if we can increase funding to the HSE services and to these uh, addiction services um, and both at the local and national level to hopefully to try to alleviate, um, you know, the problems that are facing these industry. But like PJ, I, I had to admire uh, the people up there yesterday at the launch of the Dash Bus these are people that, you know, some of them have never dealt with addiction personally or didn't have a family member that dealt with addiction. Mm. These are people that are doing it for the right reasons to help people. Mm. And I met recovered, recovered addicts up there yesterday. And, you know, it's, you know, they were all, I was looking at them and I could just see my brother and all of them, like they're all on the same journey. Do you believe in so-called safe spaces to take, if you like, take the problem off the public street and into somewhere where people can can inject safely. Do you believe in that? Look, PJ, I had um, a, a, a gentleman contact me um, after my interview in the Irish Examiner. He, his son was found dead in the toilets with a needle in his arm due to an infected, uh, contaminated needle. Had we had a centre, something like that, like an, a supervised injection centre, maybe his son would be alive today. And it was heartbreaking to read that email. So I know the argument is there that, you know, we, we shouldn't be supervising them as a state and we're only, you know, I suppose, accommodating them. But, you know, you, you, you tell that to that individual who lost his son to a dirty needle. So, you know, personally, myself, yes, I would be in favour of them. You mentioned Portugal earlier on and, and they have taken a fairly radical approach in recent years. Do you think it's something we should look at? Definitely, 100%. And I think, you know, this it it needs to come uh, as a, a whole approach from society, but from government, from society as a whole. We need to look at legislation. We need to look at this problem because the system we have, PJ, is broken. 
this war on drugs that has been waged for the last number of years started in the early 80s, maybe late 80s, above in Dublin with this scourge of heroin above there, and then moved down <clears throat> progressively across the country. We're losing this war. We're losing this battle. And, you know, just like any general will tell you on a battlefield, if your form of attack or your strategy is waning, you change tactics. And I believe we now as a society do need to start changing tactics and approach this in a different manner. Come back to your own story. And not only is it very courageous of your brother to allow you to, to, to speak out on his behalf, it's also very courageous of you, Colm, and I congratulate you on speaking of your family's pain. But how has the family come round now? He's doing well. He's opened a business. He's still struggling every day with his addiction, probably will for the rest of his life. But life, life is good again. How does that feel to yourself and the members of the family? PJ, it's, um, it's been a long time coming, to be honest with you. A long, long time coming because as a family as a whole, we suffered for so many years. My grandmother, Arthur Mercy and her, she had a shop in Perry Street, P&D Furniture Stores. And she was very close to Don. She died when he was in the height of his addiction. So she never got to see him come, come full circle. And we were very close to my grandmother, all of us. And as a family, that's a very sore spot for us, that she died knowing that all of this still was going on. But to see him come full circle now and to see the happiness, like he's got beautiful children. He had a baby boy um, a couple of months ago and his kids are everything to him now, you know? Mm-hmm. Um you know, and we, we as a family, we, you know, I, I have two children myself, my, we all, my, all my brothers have children. And it's great to see, I suppose, the next generation coming up. Um, but you would have that worry for all my own children and my nieces and nephews. You know, will we have to face something similar that our parents faced? And if by next June, when you take off the, the chain of First Citizen, if there was one thing... Lord Mayor Kelleher, that you could have achieved for families affected like yours has been, what would it be? Well, if there's one thing that I can achieve as in my term as Lord Mayor, I would hope that if there's someone out there, uh, a family, you know, that's struggling, uh, an individual that's struggling, and they're afraid to seek help, they may be under pressure from, from the family member in question, they may be un- under pressure from, you know, one of, one of these tug, tuggery gangs that the family member owes money to um, and they may be afraid to speak out. As Lord Mayor, my door is open to every single citizen of this city and every single family. And you can pick up the phone and ring me and I will do anything to help. If you want me to come out and meet you, I will come out and meet you. If you want to come into City Hall, you can come into City Hall and meet me. But I suppose if I could take anything away from it, like if, PJ, that what I've done here in my capacity as First Citizen and what I've shared my story and my family's story and Don's story, it's his story it's, and our story, if that prevents a mother or a father burying a son or a daughter, then it will have been worth it. Because I think that's what you feared at one point not so long ago. Completely. You know, we're very lucky to have Don still here. Very, very lucky. I don't want any other family to experience that because it's horrible. Thank you for speaking with me, Lord Mayor. And good luck in your term. And especially good luck in your work with our scourge of drugs. Thank you, Peter. Courts 96 FM.